Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The race is on and Formula One's final race seat has finally been filled with Alfa Romeo confirming Formula 2 frontrunner Guan Yu Zhou will partner Valtteri Bottas next year. But how good is Zhou? Why has he got the seat and what does it mean for both the team and F1 as a whole? I'm Ed Straw and to answer those questions and more, I'm joined by Scott Mitchell and Josh Suttill. Well Josh, a Formula One podcast debutant, I'm going to ask the question that everyone wants to know, are you any relation to former F1 driver Adrian Suttill? No, only in my mediocrity and, and that's about it and <laughs> perhaps hopefully a bit more memorable uh, once I've retired and Although I might also just disappear off into the distance as well. You're presumably, um, well, I guess, a, a decent percentage better than Adrian Sutil because you've got two letters more in your surname. You've got an extra T and an extra L, don't you? So that I don't know, it doesn't make you twice as good, but it makes you considerably better, right? Yeah, but also I guess it depends on your perception, doesn't it? And I've been arguing for years that he's one of the most underrated drivers ever. So I guess that's even, even more of a compliment. Well, I'm happy to rule on this. Sutter, was a, he was a good driver. Not a stunningly brilliant one, but he, he had a decent career, decent midfield F1 driver, some uh, good drives, good results. So yeah, a, a, a handy performer, shall we say. And hopefully Josh will prove to be a handy performer on this podcast, but we'll we'll decide at the end and that'll decide whether he, he's allowed to come back in the future. Well, I've got a question about that. Who do you think is going to be better as a debutant, Guan Yu Zhou in Formula One or Josh Sutter on this F1 podcast? Well, by the end of this podcast, the listeners are going to know they can judge one for themselves and the other based on what we say. So without further ado, let's get on with it and start off with you, Scott, because it's no great surprise that Joe has got the drive. So why has it taken so long for it to be made official? Well, I think there was a little bit of, um, what's the correct way of putting it, a bit of interruption, shall we say, and um, interference from the the off-track stuff with whether or not um, there was going to be an ownership change within Sauber, which runs the uh, and operates the Formula, uh, the Alfa Romeo Formula One team, because there was the whole Andretti interest, and then attached to the Andretti interest was obviously going to be, you know, if they take a controlling stake in the team, they're going to want to have a say on drivers, what are they going to do, and how that all fits in. So I think that was one part of it, but I think a probably a bigger part of it is the fact that F1 contracts are very complicated, and I from the impression I've got is that the one with Joe is is particularly complicated because he obviously comes with a lot of backing, but when you bring a lot of backing for a driver, you want a return on that investment and therefore you want to be rewarded with with a decent deal. You want to make sure that that driver is going to be in F1 for a while. The F1, the championship has got involved to a certain degree, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. The team have got their own things that they want. Do they see Joe as a short-term option or a long-term option? So I think it was just a bit... 
complicated to get everything over over the line until everything's absolutely agreed money has uh, exchanged hands contracts have been signed it, it isn't actually completely done we've seen things like this fall over in the 11th hour plenty of times yeah certainly from what i was hearing in the interlagos paddock it was just a question of waiting for that little bit of uh, a first set of funds to to drop into the account uh, as it were but yeah although it's been pretty likely to happen for some time that whole andretti thing did certainly complicate it but the wheels are are in motion now and of course all joe's been able to do is sit back and and wait because he hasn't had much f2 to do recently given that the last f2 round i think it's about six months ago wasn't it josh yeah ridiculous facing <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, he's uh, running at the front of F2. Well, we'll get a little bit more into Joe uh, shortly, but I, I guess the fact this is the, the last drive Scott just makes it an important one, doesn't it? It's the, it's the last chance anyone's got. There are a few drivers hanging around that we'll get into later who are still hoping that an outside chance to take it will, will come off. Yeah, it's nice to have the it's nice to have the grid fully set and settled. It allows everybody to start having some fun. Who's got the best uh, driver lineup on the grid? I'm sure we're going to have some fun with that in the near future as well. Um, and it's good for it's good for the drivers. It's good for good for the teams to have it settled as early as possible. It's good for Joe because yeah, he does have a Formula Two title to chase, but he's got a, he's a long way behind that. Um, and it, it's just important because I I assume he'll be doing as much running as possible. On the simulator, I would imagine he'll be doing the uh, Abu Dhabi test with the team um, as well. He's going to want to be able to embed himself properly, really focus on on 2022. The earlier you can do that as a rookie, the better. So it's just one of those things you don't want it to drag on. Was it, uh, Alex Albon at Toro Rosso was the, the, I think the last one that was really, really dragged out. I don't think he was announced at Toro Rosso until was it the Monday after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and would have been, what, 2018? It was all too late to get him in the car for the postseason test in Abu Dhabi. So he was a rookie going into F1, and the first time he drove an F1 car was on his first of, what, three days in the car in preseason testing. And that's just not the best way to prepare yourself. So this just gives, yeah, it's a bit late, middle of November, but Joe's got plenty of time now to just sort of really throw himself into what's uh, what lies ahead. Yeah, so Joe's got a little bit more time to prepare. Only six days of pre-season testing total, so he should get three days of that. Not a huge amount of time, but yeah, the Abu Dhabi test and then the work he's done with Alpine and the testing of the the older cars will will help him. Plus, he had an FP1 earlier this season. So not a perfect preparation, you would say, but he's at least got a, a decent run at it. But Josh... Joe's currently second in Formula 2, as we've mentioned. He's won three races this year. So that gives the kind of vague idea of how good he is to people. But as a keen follower of junior single-seaters, can you put a bit more meat on that bone in terms of his strengths and weaknesses and potential? Yeah, so he came onto the, the radar about seven years ago now. He was you know, signed by Ferrari as part of their driver academy. And at the time, obviously, people saw it was a, a Chinese driver and it was around the time that you know, F1 was having a big push to get a Chinese driver on the grid. So quite a few people dismissed it um, as just a, a marketing ploy or, or you know, to do with those objectives. But Joe's record was was pretty good in karting and, and that showed uh, in his time in Formula 4. And then he moved into Formula 3 and, and the same again. The potential was there. Um, but he spent three years there and it, it never really brought the the big result that, you know, he really kind of promised in his, in his early races. Uh, he was racing against the likes of, you know, Lando Norris, Mick Schumacher. And while many of those obviously went on to, to reach Formula 1, Joe's career kind of stagnated a little bit in Formula 3, um, with him never really realising that that full potential. And he even sort of looked at other options. He was possibly going to go to Formula E at a certain point, 
um, because the the DS Cheetah team over there were looking for a Chinese driver, and and Joe's probably that well easily the best one around, and definitely has the best record. Um, well, pretty much probably for for any Chinese racing driver in the in the past fifty years, really. Um, and then when he moved to Formula Two, you know, Joe did a, a decent job in his first year. Again, showed loads of promise, but then the year after, when he was supposed to challenge for the title and and really put himself in contention for Formula One. It just all kind of fell away. I mean, you know, the first round of the season, he was on pole position. He was looking really good, had a car problem. And then after that, his season just kind of fell apart. Uh, and any chance of him getting on the grid for, for F1 this year, um, I mean, he was just never really in in any sort of conversations for, for that. Um, but like I'd said, obviously, he's having a much better year this year. But it is his third year in F2 and he's he's been around, obviously, for quite a while now. Obviously, he switched from Ferrari to Alpine. So he knows sort of driver academies and how, you know, Formula team, Formula One teams work uh, because he's he's worked with them for, for about, what, seven or eight years now. So he's certainly got the experience. But, you know, in terms of his, his weaknesses, you'd have to say that he's never really realized that that full potential that he's shown, you know, in terms of consistency as well. Sometimes he still makes some quite you know questionable mistakes for a driver with such experience i mean you've only got to look at the last round um which i said was about two months ago the last formula two round and you know he spun on, spun out on the on the way to the grid there uh, and he's had you know various issues as well over the, over the past few years um for example his first win didn't come until the the sochi sprint race where there was basically only five laps of racing um so you know again there's been a few missed opportunities there he's perhaps lacking that you know ruthlessness for which which we've seen from from many other young drivers, but you know he's probably made it to Formula One now, um, so he's still he's still got plenty of merit. You know, it's very easy to dismiss this as a you know he's only got there because of his nationality and his backing. And while of course that has played you know clearly a, a key role, there is a lot of potential there. So you know, I for one, I'm excited to see how he gets on, and and hopefully we'll see the sort of positive aspects of his junior career come to the fore, and not the kind of disappointing, inconsistent sort of you know lacking lacking his full potential. So yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how it plays out. It's it's not a glowing endorsement, but he's he's one of those drivers who I often file under the into the category of he's an inoffensive addition to the F1 grid. He's not he's not going to be out of his depth, or he shouldn't be out of his depth. And he's a driver whose peaks have never been the problem, have they? Like they're, they're, he has always been. I think was it his third year of F3 Euro F3 won a couple of races. It was just he he somehow translated that into exactly the same championship position I think as he had the previous year. I think it was like eighth two years in a row. So it's just that like lacking that consistency. You mentioned it there brief, briefly that he just doesn't seem to thread it all together, and he will need to um, he will need to settle down in F1 because otherwise he he'll never really gain much momentum but we've had uh, Ed earlier you you mentioned that obviously he's done a lot of the the older car running in in in, in the Renaults but he has also made his Grand Prix weekend uh, debut hasn't he which I think you followed very closely when he appeared in in Austria in the Alpine yeah I watched every second of that one on board to see how he he got on Fernando Alonso talked him up said he did a perfect job but uh, obviously drivers often say that that sort of thing but no he, he did do a good job it's very clear from that that his attitude is good his preparation was good he made good steps through that uh, that full session. So, yeah, I think it was a good solid start. You don't ultimately in an FP1 outing get told much about the the speed of the driver, etc. Aside from the fact they can drive a Formula One car adequately quickly, but you do learn a bit about their attitude and their capacity to learn. And you could see that progression, the confidence building, particularly in those tricky last cut, uh, the penultimate corner, Austria in particular. 
committing to that and carrying the speed without running wide out beyond track limits and damaging front wings on on bits of uh, extraneous curbing it's very easy to do and of course he, he needed not to do that but it, it's difficult to find that balance and I thought he did a uh, did a perfectly uh, a perfectly credible and, and decent job and the team were, were happy with it so that was a, a kind of promising first proper Grand Prix weekend appearance for him. Josh how would you uh, sort of characterize Joe in comparison to the rookie crop of 2021 because obviously he raced he's been around that level for so long now he has raced he has raced all of them he he strikes me on the outside as being a little bit of a maybe a little bit more in the sort of like Mick Schumacher mold than a Yuki Sonoda mold in terms of Sonoda's got looks like he's got that more exciting raw ability but just needs to round it round it all off whereas Schumacher is the type to be maybe a bit less explosive as a talent but a hard worker diligent nice seems to be a nice and pop nice guy popular person and just grinds away gets better and better and Joe just feels a little bit closer to that I'm not saying that's the only two category of driver but in terms of a reference we've got from this year what do you think yeah I mean he's extremely apolitical you know he's not going to cause any problems I mean you know imagine a, a lineup of him and Valtteri Bottas you know Alpha's PR is not going to have to do much censoring or anything like that because you know he's very much like says uh, is a very hard working and, and he'll talk the team line and he won't criticize the team openly um, and he's used to kind of working in this environment because you know the Formula 2 team he raced with Virtuosi you know his backers were also involved in that team so he knows how to navigate a team where he's kind of there or, you know, has a, a backer presence as well. So he knows how to navigate that. And then, you know, the comparison with Schumacher as well is a good one because uh, when Schumacher won his F3 year, they basically had the same qualifying average across the season. So their speed was very, very similar. But again, the sort of the results they got out of it were were very, very different. So yeah, he, he's got the potential to be, I think, as good as someone like Mick Schumacher. Um, and, and where he kind of sits on the, the grid as a whole would, you know, he's probably got a more impressive junior record than someone like Nicholas Latifi. Or perhaps, you know, Nikita Mazepin. And that's probably where it kind of ends, really, is around there. So he's certainly there, there is bouts and, and has potential to be good at Schumacher. But it remains to be seen if he can push on um, and reach that level. Yeah, he's very much a driver who, while he's not the first cab off the rank in terms of the, the queue of drivers waiting to get in form, into Formula 1... Oscar Piastri is probably that driver, given that he's set to win the F2 title. Not guaranteed yet, but he's probably going to beat him to it. But he is kind of in that front group, isn't he? So he's he sort of, I kind of agree with Scott that while he wouldn't necessarily be absolutely number one that you'd pick to throw in, he is a very, very decent prospect. He's earned his place in in Formula 1, even though obviously it's, uh, it's coming with money. Uh, and he's got a good chance. New cars next year, experienced teammates, a team that's... Not got a monstrous pressure of expectation overall, so yeah, he's uh, he's he's got a reasonable chance. But it's it's going to be quite an interesting one, though, Scott, isn't it? Because it is basically a one year appointment at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, so there's there's pressure in that sense because he's going to want to go in and and feel like he needs to uh, do something quite special to to convince the team that there'll be a reason that they've gone for this length of uh, of deal. He certainly doesn't go in there knowing that his future's set for two two years or or, or three years. It's not like a Schumacher or Mazepin situation a Haas that we had in in 2021 so that's a little bit tricky but that said which um, I'm sure we're about to get onto very quickly aren't we I think he probably goes he will probably go into next year knowing that he's got a very very good chance of being on the grid again in 2023 because it's not just him and his backers who want him to be in Formula One. Yeah, well, my understanding from asking around a little bit about it, it sounds like there's a determination on behalf of many people, not just showing his backers, not just 
the Alfa Romeo team, but Formula One as a whole and potentially involving other teams to have him sit on the grid for the long term for the, the good of F1 uh, in China. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him actually at a different team in 2023. I, I could see a scenario where he ends up at Haas. I mean, that's very, very speculative at the moment, but that, that'll play out over the course of next year. But that links into our next topic, Scott, which is given China is a country of more than 1.4 billion people, it's fair to say F1's been waiting a long time to have a Chinese driver on the grid to try and tap into that market. Ma Qinghua did have five FP1 appearances for HRT and Caterham in 2012 and 2013, but that was hardly an F1 driver from China on the grid, was it? This is a big step forward from that. Yeah, this is um, this is really significant. And we know that, um, we know that there is uh, quite a lot of, just a lot of benefit from having a, a home driver in, in in nations where it's maybe sometimes the that interest has either been dormant or F1's never really had a, a foothold in, in in the area, so it's been difficult to break through. But if you look at say how Polish fans re- have responded to Robert Kubica, if you look at um, in Mexico the reception that Sergio Perez got at his home Grand Prix recently, and obviously. Dutch fans with with Max Verstappen. There are people when you have a when a nation has a home driver to get behind and get and they get very very proud of them and they really buy into them. You create fans of a driver rather than F one. There are people who watch F one who engage in F one who are not fans of F one. They're fans of the driver, and sometimes that manifests itself in a slightly uh, shall we say problematic way because the the that, that that support is so overwhelming and it's almost blinding to to a degree. So you see it in, in controversial circumstances, it tends to shine through. But they're fans that would not exist without these drivers. And how many times have we gone to to Shanghai for, for the Grand Prix and there's just, you know, there's gaps in the grandstands and stuff like that. It, it, it doesn't look like... It's a place that F1 is desperate to, to really break into. And maybe a Chinese driver, I don't think you can just have any Chinese driver, but having a Chinese driver, having one with potential like Joe does, having someone who can go in and do a decent job, having someone go in with an interesting brand like Alfa Romeo as well, that's something that's um, very interesting. There was a, a PR gaffe in, 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 in China where um, an Alfa Romeo dealership jumped the gun and and, and it, was, it was being sort of... Uh, basically paraded around in, in China congratulating Joe on becoming the Chinese driver at Alfa Romeo dealerships in the country. So um, I'm sure there's going to be some appetite there. And then from an F1 point of view, I'm almost certain that we're going to see a second Chinese race added to the calendar in the next couple of years. Obviously, it won't be for 2022, um, but I reckon we'll have a race in Shanghai and a race somewhere else Um before too long and that will be specifically because F1 knew that getting a Chinese driver on the grid was crucial to that they've got that now so I would expect at some point in the next 12 months to hear news of of a second Chinese race as well for 2023. Yeah that's why F1's so keen for this to be for the long term because that that's the two things isn't it firstly you do need a driver competing in the long term because we've seen what might be called emerging F1 nations get onto the grid with a driver and then it doesn't necessarily last that long to get that kind of permanent presence and really build up that that solid following and then once you've got that enduring presence you need hopefully the the results so that that's going to be the the interesting question have you got much of a feel Josh for how big a deal he is in China I know that's quite a difficult question given that you're uh, you're not exactly living in downtown Shanghai or or Beijing but do you have a sense of of the expectation that lies in wait there 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think he moved to the UK in about 2012. So he's been sort of around here, obviously, for quite a while. Or it's around here by that. I mean, the, the UK and obviously in Italy as well during his time with, with Ferrari. So he's got very much like European presence. But yeah, he's still got a massive following back in China. And, and, and even I think I've seen sort of stuff from his Formula 4, 3 and, and 2 races, which, you know, he had plenty of fans there. And, and those obviously races aren't, aren't very well attended. Sometimes there was, you know, very out of the way tracks and you'd, you'd still get kind of a small group of, of loyal fans sort of following him. So I think it is, yeah, it's a huge deal. And, and also it's a huge deal because every other Chinese driver in junior single seaters has been a bit of a misfire or hasn't shown anywhere near the potential. You know, if you drew a list of the all the driver, all the Chinese drivers with potential, you know, he is so far ahead of all the rest. So it really is kind of a, a huge deal and, and one which, you know, China has been waiting for for, for so, so long because he's been on the, the radar for seven years. So yeah, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it was interesting talking about that expectation. When I spoke to him after his Austria FP1 outing, he said that there's so many people watching FP1 in China. And he suggested it's probably more than would be watching the actual Grand Prix itself because they're interested in him. So if you've got a got a country that's getting excited about an FP1 session, who'd have thought that would happen? Uh, so that that shows the the interest level that exists. Yeah, well, if you can tap into it, you just get this sort of incredible fever and excitement around. Um every element of a Grand Prix weekend. I mean, when uh, when we went to Zandvoort this year, I, I know this is a very extreme example because the, the Dutch fans have gone absolutely, uh, absolutely balmy for, 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 for Max. And um, Max is obviously super successful as well, which, which obviously helps. But that is an entire Grand Prix that's basically been revived for Verstappen. And they, the, the, the vibe from the place was just crazy for four days. It was um, Christian Horner said it was like being in a nightclub for for three days constantly. I mean, you were there, Ed. You you witnessed it firsthand. And I like I say, very extreme version. I'm not suggesting for one second that the Shanghai International Circuit is going to have the same atmosphere as Zandvoort when um, when we finally do go back to China and Joe's on the grid. But you 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 know you can you can speak to the the potential that a, a popular successful driver in a in a in a country that really gets behind that driver can have. Yeah, it'd be brilliant if it was like that in uh, in Shanghai in the future. I'm sure we can all uh, enjoy the prospects of that. The, the one note of warning that I will sound is, is we have been here before with drivers from emerging nations. I mean, that's Alex Young coming in from Malaysia and everyone's getting excited about the Malaysian interest. Yes, they had a Grand Prix for a long time, but it proved not to be too enduring obviously it did last quite a long time 20 odd years um Rio Harianto from Indonesia I remember when he came in everyone was saying oh he's like David Beckham in Indonesia you know massive massive interest he's an absolute sports star, superstar out there and of course it's you have to kind of take people at their word on it because you're not there wandering around Jakarta finding out how big a deal he is but funnily enough despite being this massive thing he ran out of sponsorship halfway through the season so just sticking a driver on the grid doesn't necessarily mean the good times roll. So we, we do need to see. I, I think there's reason to expect what Impact Joe has to be stronger than that, but it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, and I guess for anyone listening in the UK as well, we maybe take for granted as well just how big a deal it is because you know we're so used to having so many drivers and, and have had so for, for so many decades. So yeah, for, for people who obviously what countries have never had an F1 driver, I guess it is a, a huge, huge deal. I guess, I guess let's hope that he does stay on the grid until 2023 because... If not, he won't even have a home race, will he, next year? So, yeah, hopefully uh, he will be on the grid when uh, when we do go back to China. 
Yeah, exactly. And I suppose another country that you could compare to China in terms of the size specifically, not in other areas, but obviously India was a massive market that F1 was excited about. We had an Indian Grand Prix, had Narayan Karthike, and then friend of the F1 podcast, uh, Karun Chandok, uh, racing in F1, but their careers ultimately weren't sustained. They never got into particularly good cars. So all that interest that was built up around them and, and the race then sort of faded because there wasn't that sustained nature of it. So let, let's see what happens over the next 10 years. It's a, it's an enticing market, China, but establishing F1 as a massive sport in, say, China and these countries, it's not just a question of turning up, having a race and letting someone pootle around at the back in an uncompetitive car. So something a bit more needs to happen. Moving on to, to the wider uh, stories, Josh, obviously, Oscar Piastri, we've mentioned, he's another Alpine Academy driver. He was one of the other contenders for this drive, obviously a, an outside contender because he didn't have any uh, money behind him. But he won't be racing in F1 next year, even though he is very likely, perhaps almost certain, to win the F2 title. So do you have any raging sense of injustice over this happening? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is one of the biggest uh, injustices uh, to do with motorsport in recent times because, you know, he's won Formula 1 and Euro Cup. Uh, Formula 3 and Formula 2, or might win Formula 2, in three successive years. So, you know, I don't know what else uh, a young driver really has to do to to get a shot in F1. I think especially when he's being beaten by, as in beaten to the Alfa Romeo seat, by a driver he's beating in F2 in his first year, while, you know, Joe has three years behind him. So, yeah, it is a major injustice, and I and I hope he gets onto the grid in the future. And uh, obviously he's replacing Antonio Giovinazzi, or, or Joe's replacing Antonio Giovinazzi, who himself sort of had to wait for his F1 shot. And, and I guess when he got it, uh, unfortunately, he hasn't really taken it. I think he's had a, a you know a long enough shot now, but just hasn't really made the most of it. So I'm hoping if Piastri does get on the grid, that a similar thing will not happen and, and he will take his opportunity um, when he gets it. Uh, and, and not just Piastri, but Teo Porcher as well. As we mentioned, obviously, uh, Alfa Romeo Jr. And, and Shorty will be in their sights for, for the year after. Um, incredible talent and would probably be ready for F1 next year but I guess there's there's little harm really in him just waiting a, an extra year still extremely young and uh, obviously not really any F1 experience so with that new FP1 rule next year I wouldn't be surprised if we saw you know Porcher in there for a couple of Grand Prix next year at least and then uh, yeah obviously expect him to to be right among the the title contenders in Formula 2 next year and then hopefully uh, uh, an alpha seat in, in 2023. Yeah, that seems to be the plan. They want to see how he how he does in his second season when you'd expect him to fight for the title. And as for Giovinazzi, he's he's been a decent Grand Prix driver. He's been a little bit up and down. He's also been a bit unlucky with the erraticness and lack of competitiveness of Alfa Romeo over the past couple of years. Obviously, he was hanging on. As I understand it, he was told definitively he wasn't going to be in the car next year after Mexico. But he's no fool, and he had a pretty good idea about that. He was sort of hoping against hope before that, that maybe something would go wrong with a Joe deal and he could be the, the fullback for a year. But uh, it looks like that's that's the end, certainly for now, for Giovinazzi's uh, F1 race career. But Piastri, we're expecting to be in action for Alpine a little bit next year, Scott? Yeah, I think it's the only thing they can do for him now. Um, it's, a, it's such a shame because when a driver has the career momentum that Piastri has at the moment, that is a... It's a rare thing. I know that I know that we have seen it a couple of times fairly recently with George Russell and Charles Leclerc, but that's the that's the caliber of driver that you know you you have to compare Piastri with from a junior level. I, I don't I don't know if he's quite like the the absolute stunning junior talents that those two looked at, but 
he's definitely the um he's definitely the most rounded package of anyone on the, the the junior ladder at the moment i really do like the look of Porsche, but i just think piastri's got a bit more about him overall he's got a bit more experience after all so that's um no no real surprise so it's a shame that alpine that there, there's no room there they don't have a customer team or a partner team where they can place a driver either and it obviously speaks to the politics or the external factors that influence these decisions that Alpine have two protégés one's in his third year of F2 the other one's a rookie the one who's the the rookie is the one leading the championship and probably going to win the championship but Alpine haven't been able to get that protégé into F1 they've had, they've got the one who's with no disrespect to Joe but the one who's worse of, of of the two objectively Joe is the worst option from a purely sporting perspective so I I can't help but have sympathy for Piastri as Josh said. Josh said, um, "What what more's a driver got to do than that? Uh, you can't do more than Piastri has done." So it's just it hasn't lined up for him. So I think some test and reserve duties, FP one outings, depending on the final number that F one settle on. Maybe Alpine will give him some more. Um, anything to keep him embedded. Obviously, if he wins F two, he can't go back and do F two again. So I'm predicting a year on the sidelines with. Um, you know, a more sort of embedded Grand Prix program behind the scenes. And then for his sake and for F1's sake as well, because it would be a better place with a driver like Piastri and a person like Piastri on the grid. Let's hope he can find a seat for 2023. Yeah, he's he's got to get onto the grid in the future. Just to remind everyone, if he wins F2, which he should, that'll be a hat-trick of titles. Formula Run, a Euro Cup, F3, F2 reeled off in, in three years, which is basically ticking all of the boxes of what might be called the F1 feeder system. So it would be problematic if a driver who does that doesn't get in. But of course, there have been plenty of cases in the past of such drivers missing out when they'd earn their shot. Yeah, and I think you've talked about it on the podcast before, but it does kind of come around every every kind of few years in F1 where you get like all your, your megastars kind of come in, you know, your Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris. And then you kind of get this little bit of a lull afterwards because most of the top seats are full or even the sort of entry level ones are full. And unfortunately, some drivers just miss out. And uh, it kind of happened maybe about sort of 10 years ago, eight years ago. And we're probably seeing that again. Uh, and it's something which, you know, may well continue for, for the next couple of years, which, yeah, is a concern for any of the the drivers sort of in the, the single seat ladder now. But, you know, as with anything, it will obviously end and, and another kind of crop of, of young talent will, will come through. And Piastri's got Mark Webber in his corner and uh, people remember Mark Webber's rise. It was a bit of a miracle he even got to F1 at all if he'd had that first, it was either three or four races contract he had with Minardi. If he'd just done that, it would have been pretty remarkable, let alone to have the great Formula One career that he, that he did have with uh, his, his stint with Red Bull as, as, a, as a race winner and even a title contender in, in, in 2010. But Scott, to finish off, Looking at Alfa Romeo's lineup, Bottas and Joe, it's a classic youth and experience lineup there. So, how strong a lineup do you think that is overall? Uh, I don't think it's among F1's outright strongest, but I don't think it's the weakest either. I think, um, I think it's. Uh, I would probably put it fractionally above Williams and Haas, just because I think Bottas is better than any of those drivers. And I, I do think I do think Joe is decent. Uh, I don't think he's a like I said earlier. He's not an offensive addition to the grid at all. Um, I think it will be. Uh, I think it will be low fuss, as Josh was sort of hinting at earlier. I don't think there's going to be too many flare ups within the team. Uh, my 
uh, I don't want to say that that means therefore they're going to be missing a bit of spark and a bit of drive and uh, because I think Bottas comes from a title winning team so he's got very high expectations and he knows the proper way to do things and Joe's going to be wanting to put his best foot forward and he does seem to be someone who who has got a good reputation from the junior categories so uh, I'm I'm optimistic that they'll work well together within within the team uh, I think it remains to be seen exactly how strong they're going to be over the season I think the problem they might have is that both drivers have got a little bit of a trait of inconsistency about them. Bottas's peaks have never been the problem at Mercedes. It's been the fact that he can slump on Sundays and struggle in races. And obviously, Joe's career has been sort of defined across Euro F3 and F2 as someone who has the potential to do better than the final result tends to suggest he does. So, yeah, I think both of them go into that situation with something to prove, which is which is quite interesting. And it's going to be down to Alfa Romeo to tap into that and bring the best out of them. But also what they're capable of achieving is going to be largely defined by what job the team has done developing the 2022 car. So I think, I think it will be interesting. There's a betting in process for both of them, but with a brand new t- set of technical regulations, maybe next year is a good time for a for a complete refresh. You can look at it either way and Alfa Romeo are clearly going into this seeing the situation glass half full yeah I think the timing's pretty good but Josh we'll let you have the last word is Joe good enough to go up against a driver like Bottas who's outqualified Hamilton roughly a third of the time during their partnership at Mercedes 10-time race winner so a seriously quick driver do you think he can live with Bottas as a rookie I think he's going to be very very worried if uh, if that is his objective because like you said, you know, Bottas has got a big point to prove. He's going to have, you know, a completely new environment and a real chance to to take a hold of this team. He's probably secretly quite happy that, you know, Alpha haven't gone for someone like Oscar Piastri because I think Bottas will, will fully fancy his chances of, of properly leaving this team and, and consistently getting the better result of the two drivers. So I think if Joe can kind of get, you know, within three tenths in qualifying of, of Bottas fairly consistently and, and by the sort of, you know, the end of the season be within you know, so many points of him, I think that'll be a good season. I think, you know, matching him is, would probably be too far, but if you can get sort of reasonably close um, to a Bottas, who obviously is a lot better than probably his reputation has sort of made him out to be in the past few years, then he can be fairly happy, but no, he's not going to match him. Yeah, it's quite a nice situation, I think, for Joe to, to go in, because no one will be expecting him to be at the same level, but if he can get close-ish and lots of experience there to learn from. Yeah, good opportunity. I, I, I think actually the final word of the podcast needs to go to you, Ed, not Josh, because now... You've heard everything Josh has to offer about Guan Yu Zhou. You've heard Josh's debut appearance on the the Race F1 podcast. So final question goes to you, Ed. Is Joe going to do a better job as an F1 debutant than Josh did as the Race F1 podcast debutant? Or are we more likely to see the Race F1 podcast at a second location from for where, wherever Josh comes from before we see a second F1 race in China? Yeah, well, those are, those are good questions. I, th- I think if Guan Yu Zhou has as good a debut as Josh has had, then he'll have made a very good start to his Formula One career. The sad thing is for for, for Josh is that I'm going to need 20-odd million dollars for him to appear again on a regular basis. So he's going to have to work on putting and, that together. And it'll only be a one-year deal, even if you can offer that sort of money, Josh, unfortunately. I mean, Leicester want to be put on the map. So, you know, I'll tap up Leicester Council and they'll, they'll get the funding together. Well, I hope that's given people a little bit of a taste of the life of Josh Shuttle, who, of course, is the races 
assistant editor, if you're wondering where we dredged him up from. So you'll see his work on our website, and he also has the tricky task of uh, of corralling what myself, Scott, Mark Hughes, and Gary Anderson are up to. So thanks very much to Josh and Scott for your insights. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen for more in Guan Yu Zhou and the rest of the latest goings on in the world of F1. Also make sure you check out our YouTube channel and our sister podcasts, including the Race MotoGP podcast. We're now going to turn our attention to the final race of F1's triple header, so we'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the Casa Grand Prix. (laughs) 